It's, uh, it's good to stand before you once again, and we pray that uh, the Lord will answer Brother Joe's prayer this afternoon, that, uh, uh, that he would give grace to those uh, who, are been, who have been called upon to stand and, and deliver uh, something uh, of value and benefit from the Word of God. Um, there, there's, there's some in the world who have the attitude that, uh, that faith requires you to check your brain at the door, uh, that we come in and we're, we're just, we just sit there like uh, little sponges and just soak up everything and, and go out like little zombies into the world and, and, and don't have to ever think about anything. We just, uh, we just, we just. You know, don't have to use our brain. We just take everything by faith. Well, I don't know about you, but I find in reading the Bible that uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was not in that crowd. Amen. Um, he is the Son of God, and if I read God's Word correctly, God tells His people, He calls His people uh, to come. Let us reason together. Uh, the problem with our reasoning, as we're made to know, is that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways are not our ways. And when He says to come, let us reason together, it leaves me to understand one thing. I've got to change the way I think, and I've got to change the way I do. Because that's the only way He and I can get along, thinking, reasoning together. God gave you a brain because God has intelligence. And this morning we tried to speak about a passage of scripture that has to do with, uh, that had to do with uh, those who wanted to see Jesus. I read something years ago. Uh, I got studying about uh, the body and how it, how it develops in the womb. Uh, I don't know, I might have been stirred to that by the 139th Psalm, where the writer says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my soul knoweth right well. I may not understand it, but I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and that God is my maker. But one of the things that I, that I learned in, in, in doing some studying on that, which just kind of, kind of blew me away, was that the eye in developing in an unborn child from the very early stages, we might think that the eye just develops altogether right there in the eye socket. What I found out was, and, and you know, others, if they want to contest it, that's fine, but I just love the picture of this, that the lens of the eye and the outer part of the eye develops from the skin. And the actual retina and the optic nerve and everything grows out from the brain and matches up with that. That's to be fearfully and wonderfully made. Wrought. But what I was impressed with the most was that it's kind of the same way with the ears. That it is the brain in man designed and formed by God that evidently is intended to reach out and find ways to perceive the world around it. 
so that the eye literally is the brain's window on the world. And the ear is the same way. It's, it's the channel by which the brain is able to hear what's going on in the world. There's some spiritual application to that, which, of course, should not be difficult to make, that one of the things that develops in us by grace as, as the Lord works in us is the ability to see things we haven't seen before. Because there's something within us born of God's Spirit, something that is eternal, something that does not sin, something that survives when this body dies, it survives and goes to be with the Lord, that has a need to see this world in the same light as its own nature. What I mean by that is that it is what God has given us that when it develops, it is able to see things for what they really are. Same with hearing, but I'm not interested in that this afternoon, other than the fact that you actually keep your ears open. And here, Brother David and I try to speak this afternoon. The, The ability to see and to hear is one that has been given to us by God, and it is one that the prophets constantly judge Israel as having not the ability to do. That having eyes, they don't see. Having ears, they don't hear. Having a heart, they don't understand. It's as though there is something in them that does not reach to perfection to the, to the world around them and themselves to see things as they really are. They can't see God as He really is. They can't see themselves as they really are. They can't see their own sin and their own wickedness as it really is. They literally have blinded themselves and stopped their ears. And that is man's predicament, not just the Jews. It's man's predicament. It's just that the Jews were the ones the prophets came to, so they got it first. But it's what is indicated to us. We see, but we don't see. I remember the story in, in, the, in the New Testament where Jesus Confront, was confronted by a man who couldn't see. So what did he do? He anointed his eyes. The man said, what? I see men as trees walking. And so Jesus did it again. He said, now I see men clearly. There's something in that that tells us that we don't get the clarity of our vision at the same time we get the ability to see things. And what that brings me to this morning is kind of connected to what I was talking about this this, this afternoon, to what I was talking about this morning. Brother Charles and I, we were talking at, at lunch, and he mentioned the passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus asked the crowd that's before him, what went ye out to see? Well, it has to do with the fact that John the Baptist, who we would think had seen Jesus for who he really was, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. When he's in prison, he sends his disciples to Jesus with a question. Art thou he for whom we should look, or or art thou he? Well, here it is right before me. He said, uh, this is in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 2. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples to, 
and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. These are the messengers of John. They've got the ability to hear and see what's going on. And so Jesus tells them, You go and report what you've heard and what you've seen. And he said, This is it. He said, The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. That's quite a bit. But that summarizes what what they were seeing and what they were hearing. And they were to return to John and report what they had seen and heard, because that would answer his question. If someone was doing all of these things which were fulfillment of prophecy, then it follows by reasoning, it must follow that this is the one who has been sent. And John, you can take peace. You can find peace in that and you can take satisfaction in knowing that you were right in proclaiming me the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The one has to follow the other. All that Jesus did was evidence. It was it was witness of who he was. Not that he was a good teacher, not that he was a compassionate person, but that he was the Lamb of God sent to take away the sin of the world, the sins of the world. Well, Jesus goes on. When those disciples have left, Jesus has three questions for the multitude that's there. And the first one is, what went you out to see? A reed shaking in the wind? But what went you out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yes. Yea. I say unto you, and more than a prophet. He says, I know what you came out to see. You didn't see, you didn't come out, you didn't come out to see somebody blown about by every wind of doctrine, some natural phenomenon. He said, you didn't come out to see some slick person, some priestly person. He said, I know what you came out for. You came out to see a prophet. But you came out to see more than a prophet. You came out to see more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. John, Jesus says, is not just a prophet. He is the forerunner prophet of the Lamb of God that was going to take away the sin of the world. He says, this is what your soul is longing to see, even if you can't make sense of what's going on. Even if you are as John in your own personal prison and you're not quite sure whether Jesus is the one or not, this is the truth of the matter That just as if I do these things, then I must be the Savior. So too, if he is the one who came before me, then he is what you've been looking for. More than a prophet. The prophet, the forerunner, promised in the book of Malachi. And Jesus then goes on to say this. Verily I say unto you, 
among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and all the law prophesied unto John. There's a lot more that follows after that. What I really want to set out here and then go on to take a, a deeper look at is the Lord Jesus Christ being the one who makes sense of what we know. And that in receiving his gospel, his ministry of the truth, that we come to not just know things and not just know the meaning of things, we come to know the one who gives meaning Amen. to everything. Yeah. Amen. That's... That's where we want to get to. We would see Jesus. Well, here's, here's another, another thing to remember. And hopefully it's true of all of us. We don't want to just see Jesus. We want to know Jesus. We want to know Jesus because that's eternal life. Those, those are Jesus' words. This is eternal life. They should know the, the true God and Jesus whom thou hast sent. That was the Lord's prayer. And it is the, it is the essence of the eternal life that we have been blessed with. If you'll turn to the 24th chapter of Luke's gospel, and I don't want to take long this afternoon, you know you're in trouble when a primitive Baptist preacher says he doesn't want to take long. But, I, you know, we're all honest about our intent. It's just how things work out that kind of leaves egg on our faces sometimes. To be short, the, uh, the day of the resurrection in this chapter, you have the two men, uh, Cleopas being one of them, and they're on their way down to the village of, of Emmaus. And as they walk, something very strange happens. We begin reading in the 13th verse of that chapter, Behold, two of them went the same day, to a village called Emmaus, which is from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. I believe that's about seven and a half miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Man, they were, they were witnesses to history. They were in a position that we've never been in. Because they were right there when all of this was happening. And what better thing could they do for two, three hours of time on a day that was so mysterious from beginning to end, because it all had to do with the resurrection of Jesus and the appearing to, 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 to different groups of, of his followers, and the, the, the ending of the day was, was, a, was a church meeting right there in a closed building where, where the guest of honor didn't have to come in the door or climb in a window. He just appeared in the midst. But these two men during the day are walking to Emmaus and it came to pass as they talked about the things of the Lord, as they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I, I have always been 
I've always marveled in that passage of scripture at the inability of his disciples to be able to discern who he was. I mean, he's there, but they don't know it's him. Do you think there are those times when Jesus draws close to us and we just don't recognize that he is the one who's present? He's the one who's who's there. And I don't mean some mysterious glow-in-the-dark kind of appearance of, of you know, a ghost or a spirit or anything. I'm just talking about during the day. There are times when unbeknownst to the people who I've met and who have spoken to me, they've told me something, and it's just as good as if the Lord told me. Because they didn't know that what they had said had significance to me. I don't know how it is with you. But I do believe there are times when our sight is so dim, for whatever reason, that we have trouble perceiving what's really going on around us. Their eyes were holding. That means they couldn't see. They couldn't know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? I love the Lord's perception of our state of mind and our state of heart. We may be talking about things that are important, but really what's, what's coming out of our heart? Well, they were sad. They had reason to be sad. They had reason to be sad from their perspective, not from the Lord's. So he, um, Cleopas, the one who does the speaking, he has a strange response, sort of, towards this man who is Jesus, risen from the dead, whom his eyes cannot discern is the risen Lord, and he treats him as something of an idiot. Do you not know what's happened in Jerusalem? Where have you been? How can you have come down the same road we're on from the same place we came from, and you don't know what's been going on? And so he launches into a, into a summary of all the things. He knows things. And he says true about all these things. He says that uh, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. That's true. He knows that. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. He knew that too. He knew who the guilty parties were. He knew who the innocent victim was. He says, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Well, that's his hope. He knows his own hope. And you know your own hope. And the problem that Cleopas has here is that the hope that he has is not fully realized because he doesn't understand the meaning of things, nor does he understand that standing right next to him is the one who can make sense of all that has happened and set him in a place where he can know joy instead of sadness. Amen. Now, Jesus goes along with them. He, uh, Cleopas, he says, Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. All that's true. He knows these things. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. 
but him they saw not. These are all the things he knows. Now, you may have been in the church a long time. I know people, you know people, maybe outside the church. You think we're, you think we're, we're, we're greatly blessed to, to be able to not only know, but to understand and also to know Jesus. That's the greatest blessing there is. There's others who I believe are children of God and know some things, but they don't know the meaning of the things. Amen. For instance, they know about grace, but they don't really know the meaning of grace. Yeah. And we can go on and on, make up our own list. Of all the things, and maybe we were there one time. You know, we were in that position too one time where we knew a few things. We didn't understand the meaning of those things. Jesus then says to him, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You know, it's easy to believe the prophets and the word of God when we can see things unfolding in a way that we understand. That was easy for Cleopas. He could see the miracles. He could see. He could hear the teaching. He could see Jesus interacting, doing all the things. He could even be there during the time when Jesus went to the cross. He could see all these things. He could know all these things. But the only thing his knowledge brought him to was the place where Jesus called him a fool and slow of heart to believe. Because when the time came to put his knowledge and his faith together and stand on it in the face of, of the greatest trial there was, seeing Jesus die and not understanding that that's what he came to do or that he was going to be raised from the dead after it was over. He responded in sadness rather than enjoy at hearing that Jesus had risen from the dead. It's hard for us to imagine that. But we're not a whole lot different than Cleopas and his friend were. Yeah. And if it wasn't for Jesus coming alongside and confronting us, that we're behaving like fools and slow of heart to believe what the prophets had said, well, if we didn't have Jesus, what would we do? Jesus poses a question to them. He says, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Should he not have first suffered and then enter into his glory? This was the great conflict that the Jews had when they looked at the prophets and what they said was that, are they, is, he ta- is the prophet talking about, about uh, uh, someone who would be a sacrifice? Is he talking about somebody who will rule? Are there two different people here? Are there two different servants of God? No, there's just one who does both. It's It's why the Gentiles and the Jews had such incredible trouble comprehending and laying hold of the simple declaration that the Savior came to suffer and then to enter into his glory. And here are these two men who are confronted by the same situation. Well, I love, I love 27th verse. I just wish I'd have been there to write down what it was that the Lord had to say. Because Jesus taught a lot. And there are times when he teaches at great length, like John 14, 15, and 16, all about the Holy Spirit. 
But I'll tell you this one right here where he's preaching about himself and he begins over here. Let's just turn over here to page one. And for the next couple hours, three hours, however long it took, he just walking along, going from one text to another, from one book to another, from one prophet to another. And he's pulling out a scripture here and a scripture there. And, and he says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Man, if I stand up here and preach myself, you know, as Paul said, if I preach myself, you don't need to believe me. Don't listen to what I say. But if I preach Christ with the authority of the Holy Spirit, then you need to listen. Amen. And that's the way it is. If we preach ourselves, what have we preached? Just pride and arrogance. If I preach some other human being, I haven't done anything more. But we're here to preach Christ. That's what he did. And he had the, it, it was appropriate and right for him to, for these two men to preach the word of God to them in order to make sense of the things that they knew. They didn't need more knowledge. What they needed was for that knowledge to be rolled up and brought under the interpretation of the word of God in a way that made sense of what they knew. Amen. Now, it only gets better. Because as they go along, they approach Emmaus and they constrain him. He's, he's done them a wonderful blessing, is he not? Yes. And so they are going to do him a little blessing. And they constrain him to stay and to spend the night with them wherever it is they're going. And so he does. Came to pass as they sat at meat, or as he sat at meat with them, that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to them. Uh, I'm always amazed at how the breaking of bread and the fellowship of eating it together has at its center the idea of Christ being with his people. Whether it's out on a, seaside, uh, on, a, on a hillside by the Sea of Galilee with Jesus taking a few loaves of bread and breaking them, just continuously breaking the same loaves of bread, multiplying them, few fishes and dispensing, dispersing to 5,000 or 4,000 or however many. Brethren, it's the same thing. Those who have gathered to hear what Jesus has to say, to have the word of God laid out before them that they can feed upon it, they also have this wonderful blessing of breaking bread together. Now, it's my understanding tomorrow that the church is having its communion service, the Lord's Supper. Breaking of bread, drinking of wine, washing of one another's feet. Isn't it amazing that that is something that has been so preserved, so important to the health of the church, wherever it has been, that it is the one thing that is consistently commanded of us that we should memorialize Jesus Christ in the remembrance of that. Now, these men, they... They invite Christ into their house, their home, their dwelling. And they do the normal thing. They bless the bread, they take the bread, they break the bread. And Jesus does them an even greater blessing here. Because he reveals himself to them. 
this this man. We, we know he's never described, but this one that they don't recognize, don't know who it is, who comes mysteriously alongside of them and then takes what they know and lays it alongside the scriptures that they believe in and shows them how it must all have been fulfilled in Jesus, the one whom they are sad about, he then reveals himself to them. And it's a wonderful thing. Their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. You know, I, I can hear them. I can hear them gasp as he reveals himself to them. I don't know. I don't know what the difference was other than that their eyes being held, they were now loosed so that he, they could see who he was. He hadn't changed. Amen. He was the same person. But it's how they were able to see him that made all the difference. And then he's gone. It's like, it's him. Wait, 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 don't go. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes the sometimes the fellowship with the Lord is that intense and that short lived. And then he's gone. And 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 the only description, <laughs> I don't know about your feelings, but described pretty well here in the thirty second verse. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened unto us the scriptures? Brethren, I I was just on the behalf of Brother Charles, as your pastor, I, I pray that when he stands before you and speaks to you in the name of Jesus, that he also speaks in the power of Jesus and he leads your heart's burden. Right. Not your hair on fire. <laughs> not the building smoking because of, you know, being full of the Spirit of God. But to leave you with your heart burning. Did not our hearts burn while we walked with him and he opened unto us the scriptures? Oh, Lord, uh, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the wonderful, that's where we know that the Lord truly is with us, Amen. going with us. Is it, we're, we're going where we're going. I mean, we've got, we live in this world and we're going where we're going, but, but Lord, please go with us. And, and why are you going with us? Speak to us about the things that pertain unto you. Now, I left home this morning about 6 o'clock Eastern time and took a while to get over here. And while you can't go through Atlanta without focusing and thinking about the traffic and the idiots that are, well, never mind, uh, that are driving cars down the road, by the time you actually escape the gravitational pull of Atlanta, things settle down. And it's either boredom all the way or you have to find something to think about. Well, I mean, you could listen to the radio. There's all kinds of junk to listen to on the radio. But there ain't anything better than the Word of God. Amen. Now, I, I may get in trouble. I may get arrested one of these days. But I learned a long time ago how to read the Bible and drive at the same time. Yeah. It's, I admit, I, don't, I'm, I know I'm a danger on the road. But I'll tell you, yeah, we are. That's right. <laughs> I got a brother back there. <laughs> but this, that makes time go fast. 
And, and it's also helpful to a preacher to get his thoughts together. But these men had a unique experience that the risen Savior came alongside of them knowing the measure of their sadness and ministered to that without them even knowing who he was. If he can do that, do you not think he can minister to us unseen from his throne in heaven, having interceded for us, knowing what we need even before we know it, and in the process leave us not only knowing things, but knowing what those things mean and rejoicing in our spirit when we realize that the one who makes sense of things, who makes us see things as they really are, has been with us. In fact, it was so great, so impressive upon them in their hearts that what did they do? They didn't just say to each other, did not our hearts burn? They said, man, we got to get back to Jerusalem and tell the folks back there what's happened. Isn't it amazing that when something wonderful, something blessed happens to us, we think we're the only ones that have been blessed. And when they got back there, you know what they found? They found that Peter had already seen the risen Lord. They found that the Lord had already appeared to to the disciples. They found that they had all gathered together and they weren't so much hiding at that moment, I don't think, as they were rejoicing that the Lord indeed had risen from the dead. Now, Thomas, he, you know, he, he was not convinced, but he would be. But all the others, they rejoiced in this knowledge that Jesus had risen from the dead. We were so sad at the beginning of the day. Peter and John could say, yeah, we, we ran to the, to the tomb and the, you know, um, uh, uh, Mary, she came and said that the tomb was empty. We didn't believe her, but we decided to go check it out. We, we ran there. We looked inside. Sure enough, it was empty. We believed that it was empty. That's what they believed when they got to the tomb. Not that Jesus had risen, but just that the tomb was empty. The believing he'd risen came a little later. And yet, by the end of that day, they all had seen the risen Christ. A man who could appear out of nowhere... Not allow even his own followers to know who he was. Break bread and reveal himself to them and then just disappear out of their presence. And then appear inside of a locked and closed building to have fellowship with his apostles. Well, with the whole church, I'm sure, that was gathered together there. How wonderful is that? See, this building, this building's building. This building is way too small to hold God. But the Spirit of God can fill it without destroying it. And if you locked the doors and barred all the windows and everything else, I'm quite convinced that the Holy Spirit, being sent by the Lord Jesus Christ, would be able to come in, commune with us, make us quite sure that the Lord Jesus Christ had been in our very presence that, that at that point in time, and leave us rejoicing and wanting more. I really believe that the disciples there at Emmaus, that they not only rejoiced that they had had that kind of close encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, but that they wanted so much to have it again. Why do you keep coming back to church? 
You come back to church because you're just you're just daring the Lord to finally give you one of those times when you feel like you haven't fellowship with him. Like, well, I've never had it before, but but he gets another chance. Or is it that you've had it and it was so delightful to your soul and so filling to your stomach as bread is to to your to your stomach that you just you just couldn't hardly wait till the next time. And it was so wonderful, you just had to tell somebody about it. Not just anybody, but a fellow believer. Those are mysterious times, never to be seen again. But I believe the nature, the nature of Jesus and his disciples remains with us even at this present time. That he is, he is the one who teaches us what we need to know and then adds his blessing of making sense of it so we know it as we should know it and then doesn't leave us as just people who are intelligent and have wisdom and knowledge, but people who love the one who's taught us. I've had some good teachers all the way through as much schooling as I had, but I'll tell you what, I never loved any of them. I respected them, I admired them, but there's only one teacher I've had that I love, and that's that's the Lord himself. It's all right here, but even having it right here is not enough. I need somebody to teach it to me. And I don't mean just teaching by preaching. I need that so it makes sense of things. But the more it makes sense of the few things I do know, the more it points me to the one who is the very sense of all things, the Lord Jesus Christ.